you got to find a way to keep that that cash flow coming in. Otherwise, you're going to keep working every single day of your life. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Smart Agents Podcast. My name is Michael Walter and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we're joined by co-founder of Invictus Capital and author of the bestseller, Passive Investing Made Simple, Anthony Vecino. As a highly successful multifamily property investor, Anthony shares his tips for real estate professionals both working with investors and those looking to create a stream of income for themselves outside of their day-to-day. Now, before we get on to today's featured interview, make sure to subscribe to the Smart Ages podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now Amazon Music. Also, as you can see if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Smart Ages YouTube channel. Click the bell to get notifications when each new episode is uploaded. And lastly, if you or somebody else on your team has an awesome story or a tip to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. We're always on the lookout for new stories to share. All right, let's get on to the day's featured interview with Anthony. I've added a link to his book, Passive Investing Made Simple, in the episode description. You know, kind of if you could give me a little bit of background on yourself, who you are and kind of where you're at in the country. Yeah. So I am based out of the Twin Cities and I I say that and then people always look at me and go, where are the Twin Cities again? That's Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, home of the Minnesota Twins. That's why they're called the Twins. But so we like to live where it's nice and cold and I'm a multifamily investor. That's my stick is we have about $30 million of assets under management. We're vertically integrated, which means from beginning to end, we do everything. We work with our residents, leasing, management, maintenance, repairs, all that stuff. And then we also work with investors who partner with us to go and acquire these big assets. And so from a high level, that's that's my multifamily, my real estate experience. Um, but at, at the core, I, I think of myself more broadly as just an entrepreneur and somebody who really likes to create. Like that's where I find my happy place is in creating things. So I wrote a book that came out in August as a number one bestseller, which was pretty cool. Um, we have a podcast. And so pretty much as long as I'm able to create, I, I'm pretty happy. Right. Yeah. Definitely. It's always good to have those outlets uh, when, you know, doing the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, not everybody, you know, that's one of those things, you know, having that business and growing that business, it always comes from somewhere. There's always a um, something that kind of pushed you towards that place yeah. in your life. So what was it that kind of, that set you on this path? So for that, you got to understand, I have like really severe ADHD and coming out of college, it was very clear I was never going to cut it in the corporate environment. And that was because I was literally getting fired from every job I had. Like I was really inconsistent, unfocused, undisciplined, and like not a good employee. And so like I was forced to go find my own path in life, which led me to become a, a professional rock climber for about a decade. And that was going great. And that sounds really cool, but rock climbers don't make a ton of money. We just sleep in the dirt and climb on rocks. And so this came to a head when I tried to marry a woman and I went to her parents and I said, I'd like to marry your daughter. And they said, I'm sure you would. How are you going to provide for her? And that was the first moment in my life where I was like, "Um, I I don't know. Like, that's, I I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I did what anybody would do is I audited my skills. I said, what am I good at? And at that point I was actually a pretty good writer. And so I made the very logical leap to becoming a science fiction fantasy author. So I wrote 12 novels. It did pretty well, but like this was all misguided because it turns out like being an author doesn't really pay all that well unless you're Stephen King. Um, And I wasn't Stephen King. So she ended up leaving me about a year later. And I found myself living in the back of a van, still broke, but now I had some books and that was cool. Um, But I was really depressed. And a buddy saw me and he's like, dude, we got to do something to get you out of this place. 
come build a business with me. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know anything about that. I was not the kid plucking flowers and selling it to the neighbor. I was not that guy, but I was like, okay, what else am I going to do? Like, this sounds fun. So we built a high rise window washing company, utilizing our skills as rock climbers, our network of rock climbing friends. And that was the spark that kind of like set my life down this entrepreneurial journey, which was, wow, building business is a lot of fun. You bring value, find ways to, you know, bring value to the marketplace and you'll be, you know, um, compensated as a result. And that was really interesting to me is seeing like all the different ways you could pull levers in a business. So I've built a number of businesses over the last decade. Multifamily is just another one of those, those businesses. I love multifamily in particular because it's just so darn simple. Like once you understand what makes for a good asset and like how to operate that asset and how to acquire it, like it's, it's very simple. So that's, that's where we focus. Awesome. And you kind of really jumped into that full-time in the last year or so. Is that correct? No. Uh, so, so, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's actually a good question. So I started in, in investing in real estate about seven, eight years ago okay. and about at the beginning of 2020 is when I pulled out of active day-to-day management of one of my other companies, which is a manufacturing company that deals with polyurethanes. And I pulled out to focus exclusively on real estate. And so in this last year, that's where the, all my focus has been is on growing that, that side of things. Right. So a whole lot of different, you know, uh, experiences that you're able to bring into this, this new world for you. What, you know, our audience is a lot of, you know, real estate agents and brokers looking to build their businesses and scale them. And so one of the things I always think about is that, and we were talking about this before we started recording, is that there are a lot of people that are right there that are in the industry, but don't actually invest in the industry to make money on it mm-hmm. on the side and kind of while they're, you know, while they're doing their other thing. So what is it that, you know, I guess, you know, from a ground level, you know, just kind of getting started and making those connections to becoming a real estate investor. Yeah, this is, this is fascinating. We were talking about it before we went live is that, uh, you know, working with a lot of brokers, it's always been interesting to me that they see what we do on the investment side. Like they're there working between the seller and the buyer and they see that there's money to be made. And yet very few of them actively invest or even passively invest with operators like ourselves. They just take their, you know, their commission and they put that in the bank and put into other investments maybe, but very rarely is into real estate. And it's always been really interesting because you have such a unique, a unique advantage, you know, where you're at. And if you could find ways of negotiating with, you know, buyers and saying like, Hey, can I roll part of my commission into the equity of this deal? Like, and if you looked at that over a five and 10 year window, plus the tax benefits, not even mentioning the appreciation, the cash flows, like it would end up paying so much more than the short-term uh, gain of that one single transaction. And I think I love brokers. Like I love the hustle because these, like you guys are running your own little business. Like it's, it's super entrepreneurial. You've got to get out there and hustle and like knock on doors and get the deals done. And if, but the problem is like, as soon as you stop knocking on doors and ringing phone, making phone calls, like the deals stop, the money stops and you got to find a way to keep that, that cash flow coming in. Otherwise you're going to keep working every single day of your life. And that maybe that's what you want. My guess is you, it's not about, people always ask like, how do you find work-life balance? And I think that's the wrong question. Fundamentally, it's not about balance. It's about control, having work-life control to say, this is when I'm working. This is when I'm doing whatever else, like to be able to make the decision of where you want to spend your time with who and where 
That's what people are after. And if you're making really good money as a broker, but you don't have work-life control to be able to say, you know, I'm going to go on vacation for two months. I don't, I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to do this. Um, And if you don't have the ability to do that, you're going to be very frustrated. And so I'm all about, okay, how do we reverse engineer where it is you're trying to go to build the system that would allow us to get there. And for most brokers, if you just found a way to roll your equity or like your deals, your commissions into equity, like you would get there so quickly. Yeah. And you said the, so you focus strictly on multifamily. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So, and that's, you know, that's a revolving door of money coming in, you know, as one person goes out, you know, like that's, I mean, in one building, you have how many different streams of income coming from that one building? I mean, you got a, you got a 30 unit building, you got 30, you got 30 individual (laughs) rents, you got some laundry, you got some parking, got some pet fees. Like it's pretty good. Right. And the thing is like, have I would I would encourage if you are a broker and you're doing multifamily transactions, maybe you've never even thought about this. Like as an investor, as a buyer, if you were to come to me and say, "Hey, I got I get this fee. You know, it's a hundred thousand dollars on whatever size deal we're doing. Like I would like to take a portion of that. Can I invest it inside the deal with you?" As an investor, I look at that and I go, "Oh, cool. He wants to roll fifty thousand in. That means we got to come to the table with fifty thousand less. Sweet. Right. That just lowers that bar. And so there's not every investor, not every group is going to like take you up on that, but figuring out who those people are and then, you know, start prioritizing those relationships. Like you can go pretty far pretty quickly. Right. So when you were starting to work on these relationships, when you, when you, when you are working on these relationships with the brokers, what are the, some of the things that you're looking for to, you know, kind of get into a deal with somebody? From a broker standpoint, I'm looking to make sure that they really understand like what it is that we're after. And like, I value transparency and honesty above everything else in this business where don't try and sell me something that you know, isn't the right fit for me. And I'm going to figure it out. And I'm just going to be annoyed that you wasted my time. Like, don't try and sell me on this value add opportunity when it's like, that thing is dilapidated and falling over. Like that's not value add. That's just like a new development or it's class A and there really is no value add there. Like, so don't misrepresent what it is exactly trying to like sweeten the pot, like be honest and say, listen, here's where I see the opportunity on this deal. Here's where I see the issues. I think it's going to work for you guys because of X, Y, and Z. And let us know like, Hey, I don't think this deal is going to be a good fit, but I want to put it in front of you because maybe you see something I don't like that transparency. I, the broker that we do the most transactions with here in the twin cities is the guy who on the very first tour we ever went with, he said to us, you know what? I don't think this is the right deal for you guys. Like, here's the issues that I'm seeing. And we're like, cool, let us know when you find the next one. And the next one did work. And the one after that did work, right? And so understanding what it is we're trying to accomplish. And then in multifamily in, in particular, it's interesting because you don't usually do like dual agents or dual brokers, right? Like there's usually just one representing both sides. And the tendency can be to either favor the seller or favor the buyer. And that's hard. You're in a you're in a really tricky spot there. You got to figure out how do you prioritize both relationships to create a win-win. It's not pitting one side against the other to maximize. And I know like brokers at the end of the day, they don't really care if it sells for 4.5 million or 4.6, because really the, the commission isn't going to be fundamentally changed too drastically anyway. But it makes a big difference to the seller and to the buyer. And so being able to manage the emotions and the, the, the logic of the deal in a way that makes both sides feel represented and not taken advantage of is going to go a really long way. Because if you make it hard, if I'm a buyer now, just remember, I'm going to be a seller in the future. If you're making it really difficult for me now as a buyer, like 
and I'm probably not going to go to you as a seller. Like I'm going to be annoyed with you. So like, it's always that long-term play long-term games with long-term people and maintain those relationships. Right. And kind of going back to the investing side of it and for the people that are looking to get into the investing and particularly multifamily, what are, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years that you think, you know, if you could step back and talk to yourself when you first got into it, that you would, you know, really tell yourself to look out for or be aware of to where things, so that things went a little bit smoother out of the gate. So understand that every deal needs three things. It needs somebody who has the time to go find the deals, to acquire the deals, to run the deal. It needs somebody who has the experience of what to actually do with the deal. And it needs somebody who has the capital. And the biggest turning point in my life was realizing not all of those have to come from the same person. A lot of times when we get into investing, we think I got to bring the capital, I got to bring the time, I got to bring the experience, right? And it's not the case. Partnerships, syndications, that's what we focus on can be a really powerful way to say, I'm really good at sourcing deals. I have that network. I'm a broker, but I don't want to operate. I don't want to deal with tenants, toilets, trash. Leave that for the operational guys. And maybe you don't even have a ton of capital. Maybe you have some amount, but you don't have enough. Like find the partnerships that are going to allow you to play to your strengths. And as a broker, you have some unique strengths. Like if you bring us a deal under contract and it's a good looking deal that we want to close on, like that is very valuable to us because the, the two most important things for an investor is like, we have to manage deal flow and capital flow. We get too much capital, not enough deals. That's bad. Too many deals, not enough capital. That's also bad. And so if you can solve at least one of those issues of like bring deals or bring capital, like that can be incredibly valuable. Yeah. And I like what you said also, you know, earlier about, you know, just asking that question or having that wherewithal to kind of get into an investment with, you know, the, the deal that you're working, you talked about that, you know, if they bring the 50,000 and roll it over into the deal, just asking that question. I mean, it's a simple, you know, you're either going to get a yes or a no, but by asking that question, you're putting yourself out there. Exactly. And like, maybe a lot of the groups that you're working with, they've never thought about it. And so that'd be the first time they're like, Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Like that's usually when somebody proposes a new thing to us, we go, Oh, I don't know, but let's take a look at it and see if we can make something that makes sense. Like, most investors I find are very open to finding creative solutions mm-hmm. because we're paid in direct proportion to the complexity of the problems we solve, right? And so investors and brokers, like we solve complex problems. And so this is just one of those. And if you can come to the table and say like, hey, here's the solution. Here's what I propose. Like most investors are at least going to entertain it long enough to, to understand it. And maybe it doesn't make sense right now, but maybe on a future deal, it does. Right. For somebody that's listening to this, you know, and thinking about getting into the investment game and all that, where, you know, obviously from a residential, you know, the housing market's just been insane, you know, the yeah. last like what, two years on, I guess we're pretty much going on two years, getting close. Where do you, where do you see, see things going, you know, in the next, you know, six months and then kind of the outlook to where somebody is looking to get into this, um, you know, they can have a little bit more, uh, you know, just a better idea of what they might be getting into. Mm -hmm. So this is a really good question, which, and we get this all the time from people, which is the market's been so hot now for a decade, we have to be at the top. Like where are prices going to go? They're at an all time high. And my question is always high in relation to what? Because context really matters. If it's high in relation to 
income and income isn't growing and cost of living is skyrocketing, then yeah, we could have a problem there where people aren't going to be able to afford the values of these things. And there's a, a fundamental underlying question of like, what is sustaining these valuations? However, if you're in a market where you are seeing income growth and you are seeing reasonable cost of living adjustments, then you look at it and you say, okay, these prices are an all-time high, but they're not high relative to these numbers. And the numbers that we're always looking for is like, if we have a resident, we want to make sure that they can afford at least three times the rent, right? So if they can, if the rent is $1,000, we want to make sure they're making at least $3,000 a month. And we work backwards from that and say, okay, that puts the median income, let's say, that they need to have is around forty to fifty thousand dollars. Well, what's the median income in my market? Oh, it's actually sixty-five thousand. Okay, so that tells me these valuations are high, but not high in relation to what really matters. And so, don't let that be the thing that like sets you and say, "I'm going to wait until there's a correction." Right. And two is like you don't have to start really big. You can find really good deals in that duplex, triplex, quad area. But what I don't like about those fundamentally is that they're based on comparables. And so if Jerry across the street is in a tough financial pickle because of 2020 and he's out of job and he's got to sell at a discount, well, that's going to affect the valuation of my property. I don't like that. And like my very first property was a triplex that appreciated by $125,000 in nine months, which went really my way, but it could have easily gone the other way. So that's why I like commercial real estate where the valuation is tied more to the income approach rather than the, the comparable approach. Right. Well, I really appreciate, you know, just the, uh, you know, these kind of the tips and the things that you're giving out to these brokers that, and it just, you know, real estate professionals in general, because that, like we talked about earlier, you know, it is, you're just right there. You can, you know, everybody has the experience to make these deals happen. It's just actually going out there and doing it. Um, but I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, the book that you've written. Tell me a little bit about that. And kind of, you said, you know, you've been an author in the sci-fi world, but where did this you know, the inspiration for this book come. So, yeah, it's funny. This is my first nonfiction book, which before this, my first book that didn't have lasers and robots and aliens, which <laughs> I thought was going to be a little bit less well-received, but actually people were really psyched about it. So it's called Passive Investing Made Simple. And the whole idea behind it is that there are a lot of resources out there that can teach you how to be an active investor and do what I do. But most people do not want to deal, like I said before, with tenants, toilets, and trash. They don't they, they know that real estate's a powerful investment vehicle, but they think that the only way they can do it is the HGTV fix and flip model. They got to buy the house and do it themselves. And what we, what we set out to show is like, okay, there's another way of getting involved in this where you get all the benefits, the cash flow appreciation, tax benefits, but you don't actually have to do any of the work. You don't bear any of the liability or the risk. And this was really born from the fact that we have a lot of conversations with new investors and we're having the same conversations over and over, explaining why multifamily, what's a cap rate, what's CapEx, what's a preferred return, all of these things. And as you're having a conversation about a lot of these concepts where investing inherently feels overwhelming to a lot of people, people would nod and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Because they feel that by asking the question and pointing out, like, I don't quite understand what that meant, that they're going to feel stupid. And so what people do is they just go along and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then they go home and they're like, that didn't make sense. And then they don't do anything with the information. So we wrote the book as a resource for people to dive deeper on their own time and like consume it in a way where they can start to understand it and then come back with deeper questions. So that at the core, we want people to understand this vehicle because it's not complicated. It's fairly simple, but you do have to do a little bit of work to understand it. But once you do, 
like the whole world opens up because you're suddenly like, oh my God, I don't know why I didn't know about this before. I don't know why they didn't teach this in school. Like this is crazy. Um, so that's really the whole impetus for the book. Right. Well, again, I really thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, you know, it's honest, it's got me, you know, kind of uh, inspired to get out there and start doing some, a little bit of this as well. So do it. Again. <laughs> Man, that's my you. that's my number one piece of advice just do it <laughs> yeah hey, you know it's honestly it's the more you sit there you're like oh you contemplate things time keeps on ticking so mm-hmm. you know you just got to get out there and do it so again i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today yeah i appreciate it thank you i really want to thank anthony for taking the time to share his insight with us today if you'd like to check out his book passive investing made simple you'll find the link in the episode description So once again, if you think you or somebody else on your team has an awesome story or a tip to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. Well, that wraps things up for this episode. But remember, follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe to the Smart Agents YouTube channel. Again, I'm Michael Walter, and we'll see you on the next episode.